first reading is from the book of Ephesians. We're looking into chapter 3, beginning at verse 7. And if you want to follow it in the church Bible, it's on page 1174. 1174. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now through the church the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you therefore not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you which are your glory. The second reading is from Romans chapter 12 and it's on page 1139 in the Church Bible. Therefore I urge you brothers in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind then you will be able to rest test and approve what God's will is his God pleasing and protect his will for by grace by the grace given me I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has only one body, but many members, and these members do not all, all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body and each member belongs to all the others we have different gifts according to the grace given us if a man's gift is prophesying let him use it in proportion of his faith if it is serving let him serve if it is teaching let him teach if it is encouraging, let him encourage. 
if it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. This is the word of the Lord. So let's pray. Father, we know that you want to speak to each of us uh, in this time. So I pray that you would do that. I pray that you'd help each of us uh, wherever we are uh, to hear from you and to respond. So we pray for the power of your spirit. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, I'm, go- I'm going to ramble a bit to begin with, uh, so I will get to a, a point at some stage. Uh, but last um, October, uh, Louise and I went away in our little caravan. Um, and it's October, so it's quite long, dark evenings, and it was Wales, so it was blooming windy. Uh, and uh, so I downloaded a couple of films off BBC iPlayer onto my iPad, which is quite a difficult thing to do because you have to sit in a shop long enough to, to do that, uh, and then you have to s- sit in the caravan holding this blooming iPad for an hour and 45 minutes watching the film, and Louise just go, oh, that's great, yeah. Um, and, uh, but before, before we went I, was, I knew that I needed, we needed a holiday because I was getting a bit tired and um, I was kind of starting to ask dangerous questions like what is this church thing all about and um, why, why do we see so little success and then the next one, well, well, what is success uh, and, and that sort of thing so why is it such hard graft and uh, so one of the films that we uh, I, d- I downloaded was I think it's called The Papadopolises or something like that uh, I've yet to find anybody who has watched this film uh, wait Keith's watched it um, and uh, it's, a, it's a film about a, a Greek origin bloke uh, who, who's a big you know he, he makes uh, the city uh, but as we start the film uh, his business is going bankrupt and uh, for some reason uh, Everything the, the the bottom falls out of his financial world, and um, throughout the film he's working with a financier to try and re-establish his business. And there's always this sort of promise that this might happen. But in the meantime, he's got three kids. His wife died, uh, so he's got three kids to look after, uh, and he ends up having to go back to this slightly crummy fish and chip shop that he and his brother used to run. Uh, and so he goes into business with his brother very reluctantly but what happens is that the children kind of become lovely again uh, whereas they weren't before there was a very divided family they weren't communicating and as as slowly as they work together uh, in the fish and chip shop life gets better unfortunately his brother then dies uh, but he's then still running the fish and chip shop and then so we get to this scene virtually at the end uh, when the financier comes to him they go and sit in a park together and um, 
the financier says, yeah, you just need to sign this document. I think we've sorted it so that you'll get your business back, you get your money back, and, and so on. And uh, the guy says, um, not sure I want to do that. And, uh, and the financier says, well, what's the alternative? It's a fish and chip shop. You'll never, you'll, you'll never be successful like that. And he goes, well, you know, I might open another fish and chip shop. Uh, uh, and then he says, but what is success? And I went, whoo, hang about. Here I am in this windy caravan in Wales uh, watching a film which has got no Christian content. Uh, and there's that phrase that was going around my head, what is success? And so the guy says, um, nothing against fish and chip shops, by the way. Uh, and the guy says, success is the joy that you feel. And it was like this sort of thing went straight into me. I thought, I was meant to be watching this. This is really significant. And as usual, I went, okay, that's not important for me. It's important for the church. Uh, let's just go straight to the church. <laughs> um, no, I went, that's really important for us as a church, but also for me, to know that actually all the stuff that we're doing as a church, and we've got our three-point vision and all that sort of thing, all of that is really important. But the most important thing is that together we are a special family and a special church so which is kind of reflected in the Ephesians thing uh, in, in our vision but it there's that God doesn't take pleasure in us doing a lot of stuff without pleasure uh, and without us being together as a loving family and so on so I thought um, isn't it amazing that God speaks in a windy caravan in West Wales uh, but I also thought, so in February, we will talk about church uh, in my talks. So, which is why we have readings, and why next week we will also have uh, two more readings about church. Um, but then God started sort of seeming to talk slightly, slightly different angle. Uh, so, I'm not going to talk about those readings. But I'd really like you to hold on to them because they kind of connect with the readings for next week as well. So they're important, but I'm not going to talk about them today. So um, what is today about? Today in the old Sunday school thing, it's about Jesus. Charlotte just asked me, what are you talking about this morning? I said, Jesus. So she just raised her eyes as usual and said, yeah, yeah, he's not giving me a straight answer. But basically the point is, if we want to be a supernatural people... If we want to see God doing mighty things through us, we tend to end up doing a lot of it, trying to do a lot of it under our own steam. So if it's going to be supernatural, it's got to be God. If we're going to be, if the church is going to be something different from the rugby club, then it's got to be God. And our first duty as people of God is to worship God. Our first duty is our relationship with God. Um, so if you have been coming to the services for the last month or so, if you have ears to hear, there's been a message coming through loud and clear. At the very end of December, uh, I spoke about something 
Um, but basically the conclusion was that we need to, you know, whatever comes this year, we need to stick with God. Whether fantastic things happen, we need to stick with God. There's a temptation to just go off and do our own thing because we don't need God. Uh, if things go shaped, we need to stick with God and so on. So whatever happens. So I, I was saying that on, I think, the 29th of December. And then Fran shared a word uh, a, a couple of weeks ago um, about how she felt God was saying it's going to be... It, this will be a year of quite a lot of change not I don't know whether it necessarily means in this church but there's been going to be a lot of change going on in the world uh, and we need to stick on to God we need to really um, said I'm calling you to come into the place of abiding and of resting in me of drawing near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace in times of need um, and then I've just been on a retreat uh, which was a silent retreat um, which was quite difficult uh, and I started reading a book I, I, I was trying to be really disciplined because I know that these people don't like you reading books because they say God how can you read books if you want to hear God uh, but God does actually also speak to me through books so in the end after a couple of days of torment I did start reading a book and it was really nice uh, so I read a, I read a book called Ordering Your Private World by Gordon MacDonald which he wrote quite a long time ago but he's, he's um, you know whatever you do to a book he's rewritten it 20 years later or something um, and he describes this, I think he was in his, about his 30s, and he describes his successful ministry, big church, all that sort of thing, uh, and how he was just becoming more and more busy. And uh, he hit a crisis one morning. Um, not sure I could find it. Uh, He, uh, he's, yeah, let me read this bit. He said, um, and now it was Saturday. I came rushing down the stairs of our home that day, entered the kitchen where Gail, my wife, was preparing breakfast for the family. He said, I've got to skip breakfast. I've got to get to the office. I'm behind on my preparation for tomorrow's sermon. Oh, and a couple of staff members want to meet me for lunch to talk about a pro problem they've got. So I probably won't be back till... And Gail interrupted and said, you, you do what you have to do. But on your way out the door, you might want to think about the fact that you haven't spent any meaningful hours with the children lately. For that matter, you and I haven't had much time to ourselves either. I froze as I tried to decide how to respond. But before anything came to me, Gail spoke again. Tell me, Gordon, do you really want to live this way? Is this what you want the coming years to be like? Is this the kind of life we agreed to when we got married? Gail's question stopped me cold. I should have immediately responded, no, I don't want to live this way. But then I would have had to explain why that was exactly what I was doing, living that way. And I began to cry. Not a few tears, not for a short while. I cried for at least four hours. Great wrenching sobs that came from near, as best I can figure, the bottomless pit of my soul. And uh, at a certain moment, he prayed. 
And he said, Jesus, is there a message I'm supposed to get from this experience? When the message came, which were quiet words in my heart, it came suddenly, clearly, convincingly, as if it were a text message from a friend, and I've never forgotten it. It was this. Now you know what it's like to live out of an empty soul. Now you know what it's like to live out of an empty soul. An empty soul? What does it mean to have an empty soul? My answer to my own question, a soul, our spiritual place, is empty when one tries to do soul-based things but makes little or no effort to keep that soul filled. It'd be like trying to drive a high-performance car with an empty petrol tank. So now you know what it's like to live out of an empty soul. And the soul is empty when one tries to do soul-based things but makes little or no effort to keep that soul filled. So I kind of wanted to start talking about church by saying, so how is your soul? How are you in your soul if we were left on our own in a room with Jesus, how would we be? Would we go, oh, I better, I better get busy and do something. I better, I better, could we, could we actually cope with being in a room alone with Jesus? I think for some of us it would be like being with an old friend and for some of the rest of us it would be this is really awkward because my relationship with Jesus is not at a place that I could cope with that. Or if we hear Jesus saying to Peter when he uh, had the barbecue on the beach, do you love me more than this, more than these? Do you love me? Do you love me? What would your answer be? Jesus says, do you love me? because we can't do any of the other stuff we can't do any of the church stuff together if we don't have our feet on the rock and we can't do that unless we have a daily personal relationship with Jesus and I know there have been a number of times in my life where I've placed a far higher value on doing things for Jesus normally things that people might see more, time, more value on placing things, doing things for Jesus than actually investing in my relationship with Jesus. Does that make sense? And I dare to think that quite a few of us in this congregation are in the same place. So the result, as Sharon said last week, is that if we don't watch out, we lose our saltiness and we start to fake it and we start to try and do it all through our own humanity so are you running on empty have you fallen into the trap of allowing work done for God to replace the work of God in you because we need to get it in the right order 
So on my, <coughs> on my retreat, uh, you meet with a, a spiritual director uh, every morning, and she encouraged me to read the story of Bartimaeus. Uh, so I'm just going to read it to you now. You don't need to look it up, particularly because I'm uh, the reference. But this is the story of Bartimaeus. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called to the blind man, Cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. I just really encourage you to, along with the other two passages, go away and just reflect on that. Uh, the, The kind of Benedictine way of doing that, which is where I was, is kind of try and picture yourself in the scene. Who who are you in that scene? What does it smell like? What does it sound like? What you know? And there were two things that came to me. The first is that there was a there was a big crowd, and Jesus stopped for the one person uh, who everybody else said wasn't important. And you know, I've talked a number of times about Jesus stopping for the one, but I always talk about Jesus stopping for the one who isn't me. So I realised that I had to take on to me that Jesus would stop for me. And I think, I think a lot of uh, us in this church, when, when I say, so what would you, in, in, in the situation you're in, what would you say to somebody else? And you're always, always very happy, the number of people I've talked to, very happy to pray for somebody else, but you're not very happy to pray for yourself. Uh, and I see that in, in me as well. So actually, we need to say to ourselves, Jesus stops for the one, and he stops for me. I don't know if you can just say that in your head for a moment. He stops for me. And then what did Jesus say to Bartimaeus? He said, what do you want me to do for you? And again, I've talked about that, but I thought, do you know what? I hardly ever hear that for me. And I realised that mostly my conversation with Jesus is, what do you want me to do for you? I don't hear Jesus saying, what do you want me to do for you? I I sort of shut him out by saying, no, what do you want me to do for you? Uh, And that's the wrong place to start. It's a good place to finish but it's the wrong place to start. So we, we start by allowing God to minister to us. We start by allowing him to stop for us and God saying to us, what do you want me to do for you? Because if we don't get our relationship with Jesus right in the first place, then we've got nothing to give out. We've got no, nowhere to, to begin from. We have no resources within us 
all we're doing, all we're offering is something human. Um, so uh, Gordon MacDonald described himself, his life as like a sinkhole. You know the, those amazing pictures you see normally from China where there's a road and there's, the road has suddenly opened up and there's this massive hole into which normally a bus has fallen or something like that. And he said it was like my life was like a sinkhole. I had this lovely little surface of road on the top and yet when the crisis came I discovered there was nothing underneath because I had no relationship I had no invested relationship uh, with Jesus so we have to do the inner work, we can't do any of this if we don't do the inner work so we have to deliberately devote ourselves to God and that also means it doesn't just mean having a lovely quiet time with Jesus but it actually means deliberately saying no to sin deliberately setting aside uh, our lives for God I, I, my room in this place was in the bookstall corridor which is basically a corridor as long as this building just length of piles and piles of books so like, when you're in it's, I think it's very naughty actually because when you're in silence and you're struggling with silence you kind of tend to stop and read the books and just, um, so I came home a little less rich than I went um, but I bought a Celtic daily prayer book which I'm now using uh, and uh, it, every morning it, it's like you're in a little congregation but so I'm just talking to myself but it basically says do you love the Lord with all your heart yes I do do you love the Lord with all your soul yes I do do you love the Lord with all your strength yes I do uh, and so on and it was a kind of, it, it's a daily reminder to me that God doesn't just say well just if you can give me a little bit of your life if you can give me the first 15 minutes of your day but it's actually saying I want to give God the whole of my life uh, and this is very deliberate if you're, if you, I don't know how many of you have read Oswald Chambers in the past uh, but he said this the battle is lost or won in the secret places of the will before God never first in the external world nothing has any power over the person who has fought out the battle before God and one there so I need to get the things settled between myself and God in the secret places of my soul where no stranger intermeddles and then I can go forth with the certainty that the battle is won so it's saying you know, sit down with God work out with God who is Lord of your life not when you're confronted with that potential issue that's going to come up you know let's talk about let's pretend it's road rage because uh, I think that's quite common uh, so road rage when we're in the place it's difficult to be godly but if we kind of work that through with God in our quietness then we're more ready for that situation and I found myself, you know, with, when a, a sinful temptation thought would come into my head, I said, no, I'm not doing that. And uh, Oswald Chambers just say, if you just keep saying no, 
No, no. Then you will push those sinful thoughts out of your head. Uh, but, so that's part of um, what we're doing. So um, that great Christian Socrates uh, said, said this. He said, may the outward and the inner person be one. So uh, I don't know if you're hearing this. I really hope you're hearing this. But I th- I th- I'm trying to say that the biggest thing that we can do for God right now is to get close to God. To get wholehearted in dealing with the things that are not of God in our lives. This is not an optional subject. This is not just sort of one part of something. This is absolutely crucial. And this is what God is saying, I think, to Bream Church at the moment. Um, I'm just going to be a little bit naughty because I'm sh- I feel like somebody needs to hear this and I, I don't know who it is just in case you're worried um, but this is about discipline, self-discipline because I know that we like to think that we're quite sort of laid back in this church uh, and that discipline is perhaps for some of those other churches they are a bit more boring um, and William Barclay wrote this about Samuel Taylor Coleridge he said this, Coleridge is the supreme tragedy of indiscipline. Never did so great a mind produce so little. He left Cambridge University to join the army. He left the army because he couldn't rub down a horse. He returned to Oxford and left without a degree. He began a paper called The Watchman, which lived for, uh, which lived for ten numbers and then died. It's been said of him, he lost himself in visions of work to be done that always remained to be done. Coleridge had every poetic gift but one. That was the gift of sustained and concentrated effort. In his head and in his mind, he had all kinds of books, as he said himself, completed, save for transcription. I am on the even, he says, of sending to the press two octavo volumes, whatever that means. I think he had loads of stuff in his head that he'd never actually typed down. But the books were never composed outside Coleridge's mind because he couldn't face the discipline of sitting down to write them out. No one ever reached any eminence and no one having reached it ever maintained it without discipline. Let's read that just because I felt that maybe somebody needed to hear that. So I think what we're saying is that life could get a bit frisky this year for some of us. Uh, things could get a bit tricky uh, or exciting or whatever, uh, but we cannot live if our lives are like a sinkhole. You, we can't do it. I've, I've tried to fake it on a number of times. I've, t- I've tried to live my Christian life today based on my Christian life 25 years ago, uh, and it's just an empty fake. We have to live our life today based on our relationship with God today. So we have to have a a vital by which I mean vitality filled relationship with God. Uh, We can't live on past glories. So so what I would say is this. Um, and I got told off by my spiritual director uh, because I was focusing quite a lot on repentance and, and she said that's not really the Benedictine way we don't talk so much about repentance and I thought oh, Jesus did uh, but we talk more about thankfulness 
uh, and that was a really good thing. So I, so I suggest maybe you start by thanking God, thanking God that he stops for you, the one. Thanking God that he says to you, what do you want me to do for you? And then perhaps you could sneak in a little bit of repentance and saying, I'm sorry, Lord, that I have turned it around and gone, what do you want me to do for you? Uh, or, or whatever it is. Or I'm sorry that I've allowed my life to become an empty shell because of that relationship with you. And then perhaps say, please, would you help me to grow my relationship with you? It's not going to be something that you can just come for prayer ministry, uh, Dick will pray with you, and you'll be transformed. It's a, it's a matter of daily discipline, daily putting things into place that will re- boost our relationship with God. And if you don't know what to do, then I suggest talking uh, to me or somebody else and we can suggest building a, a daily rhythm and a new way uh, of doing that. So uh, a thank you, a sorry and a please. Um, why don't we just do that and then I think as, as we're just praying quietly in our own hearts and the musicians will come and lead us in whichever songs they decide to sing. So Father, would you lead us as we pray? Would you lead us into a, a more wholehearted and complete relationship with you? Show us what each of us has to do in uh, our secret place. In Jesus' name, amen.